good morning or good afternoon or good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 35 of the Wake Up Podcast. On this one, I've got Andrew Henderson joining me. And some of you may not know the name, but you might be more familiar with his work as a nomad capitalist. We're talking flag theory. We're talking multiple passports, citizenships, residencies, and creating a life where you've got more of a buffet of choice when it comes to um, not only where you live, but you know where you decide to do business, where you decide to uh, you know have a bit, have a lifestyle, where you decide to enjoy yourself, and all sorts of other things. And this one, I think. You know, it's close to home for a lot of people, particularly uh, in the Bitcoin space, you know, because you know, Bitcoin enables monetary sovereignty and it's also the spigot or the, the, the keystone that helps us move towards breaking the state and changes the dynamics between uh, the citizens and the governors from one that, you know, we live in a overlord subject relationship and, you know, moves more towards a customer service provider relationship, which is originally what the idea of government was supposed to be. So, you know, Andrew's work has been about how in the existing framework, in the existing world, you know, we we can still make choices and structure our life to be more of a customer and have that type of relationship with uh, different nation states, notwithstanding what Bitcoin is doing on a larger scale um, and direction pushing the world in. So anyway, I think this will be a super valuable episode for everyone. As usual, share it around. I hope you learn a lot and subscribe to the channel so you can keep up to date with all the episodes that are incoming. Thank you again. And we are live with episode 35 of the Wake Up Podcast. And on this episode, I've got Someone who many of you will know, uh, Andrew Henderson on the call from Nomad Capitalist. Uh, Andrew, thank you for joining me. Um, I know it's early where you are, and I uh, appreciate you getting on the call, man. Yeah, great to be with you. Absolutely. So um, these days, we're all busy, especially those of us in the, in the quote-unquote uh, sovereignty parts of uh, the business of life, um, especially with seeing how how 2020 i think has sort of just been one of those watershed moments where people i think you know i've been called crazy for many years for you know trying to pursue uh either multiple residencies or passports or financial sovereignty and stuff like that and, and you know the 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 argument's always been you know why why would you need that you know everything's okay and sort of this last 24 months we've seen what i call like a a retarded variation of the zombie apocalypse take over the world where everyone's actually lost their minds and um and you know no one thinks about anything else and you know the the need for uh i guess approaching sovereignty in the world um or, or approaching sovereignty in your life uh in the context of the world has become you know ever more important so i'd love to hear before we get into any of the deeper topics sort of what your past 12 months have been like um, and you know whether the general opinion has um has changed evolved etc for, for you well yeah i mean i 
I've talked in the, in the mid nineties, my father and I would have conversations. I was you know 12 years old, go where you're treated best. If you want to be an entrepreneur, this probably won't be the place, the United States. It's, it's, it's been good. It's been, had a good run, probably not going to continue. I mean, so who in 1995 or 1996 was saying like, you don't want to live in the United States. Uh, so it's for me been 25 years of this coming true. Uh, you know, you're you're like a you're you're a good looking you know guy you know social like a lot of us here we were never popular so I wasn't really too concerned about you know whether people were you know liking my passports or not it it was for me I mean the beginning of this go where you're treated best was a social approach where I realized other mm -hmm. places there were people who who understood my drive to have a business at you know 21 years old more than people where I was living so. Um, you know, it has been crazy. It's been increasingly crazy. Now, obviously, you know, the more that I go out there, you know, I wrote a book, you know, called Nomad Capitalist, which has done incredibly well over the last three years. Um, you know, I've, we've been on BBC and Bloomberg and all over the place. So part of it, I suppose, is just more people who are, you know, coming and finding Nomad Capitalist. But it does definitely seem like after kind of a month last year in, in March of 2020, people were kind of freaked out. And then they realized, no, we need to freak out. Like this is the government doesn't care about us. Um, we need options. Uh, for the first time, people like Americans found that, that their passport was not really that good when it was stress tested. And uh, yeah, it's been in, insane in terms of people coming and saying, I want a plan B. Um, not just people who are entrepreneurs or crypto guys who want to lower their taxes. That's the plan A. But it has been, uh, I don't know what the growth is, hundreds of percent growth of people who want a plan B. They want a second passport. They want a, a back pocket residence permit. Uh, they want a plan that they can use because they've, they've realized, finally, the veneer is coming off. And I guess I'll give people a little bit of credit that you know people have said, well, I'll leave when things get bad enough. I think people are realizing, I mean, it, it, it will certainly get worse, I think, but this is pretty bad. Mm, mm. I think that there's, there's a saying that, um, that I love, and I'm going to completely butcher it or paraphrase it here, but it, it, and I believe it's, a, it's attributed to Julian Assange, but he talks about how, you know, one of the most uh, incredible attributes of human beings is our capacity or our ability to adapt to situations. But it's also one of our most dangerous uh, mm -hmm. attributes is because we'll continually like it's it, it's the old um it's the old Nazi prison guard uh, uh, situation which is you know the, the 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 Nazi prison guards didn't start that way you know they 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 edged towards that step by step um, and and became that way and, and that's sort of how like if you want to change societies you know you start off with a two week flatten the curve promise um, and you know, 12 months later, you're talking about uh, vaccine fucking passports and, you know, multiple classes of society um, and, you know, complete mandates on what you can and cannot do as a healthy individual based on what some central bureaucrat uh, deems is, you know, the way we should all live. So, so it's, 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 um, I, I think what you just said there, like, it is really, really, really bad. Um, but unfortunately, um, most people have sort of, you know, most people have kind of walked into, you know, the modern day, you know, well, house well, arrest I mean, slash. Yeah, I go mean, on, it's, entre 
It's entrepreneurs, right? I mean, this is like, they've always been doing this. I mean, we, we mm. complain about the government. Do you, do you know who's even worse than the government sometimes? Is corporate bureaucracy. You ever get on the plane? Mm. I used to fly with United all the time in the US. Now I fly with good airlines, so I don't have as much experience with this, but it used to be like, uh, we're gonna be uh, 10 minutes uh, late. And then 10 minutes later, uh, we're still working on the uh, the problem, but uh, you know, and then like 10 minutes later, uh, yeah, we're just gonna, you know, we're gonna pack our stuff. And then like three hours later, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's all falling apart. We're gonna take you back to the gate and fly you tomorrow. And people <laughs> pe pe people love that being dosed yeah. five minutes, ten minutes at a time. They love it. Um, as entrepreneurs, as investors, certainly we've been successful because we've adapted. But you know, the older I get, uh, <laughs> I I think I adapt less, and I look at things and I say, uh, uh, this doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and for mm -hmm. me, you know, that's what go where you're treated best is. I have so many people from the United States. I left the U.S. Uh, you know, close to a decade ago for good. Uh, I gave up my citizenship a number of years ago. I, I burned the bridge, as it were. Uh, and nice. somebody, oh, you're a traitor. We have to stand up for our rights. Who's going to stand up? If not the United States, then where will they be? You're right. There's only 200 countries. If one fails, the rest will have no choice but to go with it. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I say, you know what? I'm, I'm sick of adapting. I know what I want. I know it's out there and it already exists. I'm just going to go there. I'm not going to try and recreate anything. I'm not going to try and change anyone's mind. I run a business. I've been hiring people to keep up with uh, the demand like crazy. You know what? If, if you want to do things your way and that's not my way, that's totally cool. There's no judgment, but you're not working for me. Um, mm -hmm. Even now with you know clientele, um, listen, we do it a certain way. I want to make sure I'm working with people that get great results. If, if we're on the same page, that's cool. I don't, I don't want to take your money, right? And these are things that are very hard for people to understand. It's very hard for someone in the West to be like, wait a minute, a business doesn't want to take my money? That's correct. In, in many cases, I don't, you know, we just, it's not the right thing to do or you know, whatever, we don't want to do it. And I think that at a certain point, I mean, you have to be adaptable. At a certain point, you also have to say, I'm going to stop adapting. Uh, I'm going to stop acknowledging this five-minute spoon-fed, you know, we're about to take off when in reality, no, the plane's going back to the gate in three hours and uh, we're, you're flying to Tulsa tomorrow. It's the, it's the sunk cost fallacy, man. That's, um, what is that too? You know, and, yeah, well, but, but it's, it's that manifest in, in real life. It's the, um, it's, we, we, we use the adaptability, uh, attribute and we make excuses for the inadequacies around us and hence we we don't cut the losses uh when we should and and you know we yeah. we, we we bend over for shit that we should never bend over for and and, and I, I like what you said as you get older you you accept less because that's sort of what i found is you know everyone talks about oh be open-minded and you know all this no sort of be, stuff. be less open-minded really... no, exactly no, open-minded I 100% agree with you. As I've gotten older, I've become less open-minded. I've become like, no, this is what I like and this is what I don't like. Um, you know, and, and and sort of as I think you become older, you also you also find these principles that make sense. And it's like, yeah. well, if it aligns with this principle, great, but I can quickly call bullshit on something if it doesn't align with some with some first principles. So so I, I love I love that you sort of brought that up. I, I mean, um, what, what I talk about in the book, Nomad Capitalist, is obviously all about being open-minded. If you, if you get my book, 
you know, you're not going to get a custom strategy that someone would charge you a five-figure sum to create in an $8 book, right? You're going to get some ideas. You're going to learn about citizenships, mm -hmm. about taxes, about this. But a lot of it to me is just about opening your mind. Here's what's possible. Here's what's not possible. Here's some stories. Um, I'm all for being open-minded to things that you're not familiar with. But once you know what you're looking for, uh, I think less open-minded, less opinion-seeking, right? I mean, I think that's an area where people... Uh, uh, you know, get confused, but, um, you know, what it's I found is nuance. whatever you're looking for is out there, you know? Yeah. It's a super important nuance. So I think talk to me about, um, the, oh, there's a couple, there's a couple threads I want to pull on here. So, so maybe I'll start this uh, question this way is, um, I, on a, on a couple of recent clubhouse, uh, rooms that I was running, I, I was talking about how, you know, Bitcoin as an invention, for example, um, it changes the base incentives of how society functions because Bitcoin is fundamentally demonopolized money and it's it's voluntary in nature, meaning that if you want to use Bitcoin, you can. If you don't, you don't fucking have to, you know, and if you want to change the rules, you kind of opt yourself off Bitcoin. So, you know, again, it's, it's completely voluntary in nature. And I think one of the things you're mentioning earlier is this idea of, um, go where you're treated best, which is the voluntary, uh, which is the, the voluntary nature of human beings. Like I always say, you know, mm -hmm. when I, when I think about first principles and how human beings behave is, you know, thinking with an Austrian economics hat almost is when two people trade and they, you know, they, they both get a benefit for doing something that is an additive, you know, uh, effect on society, you know, both increase their wealth, both get a benefit versus the subtractive uh, version, which is someone stealing something for someone or someone in the middle leeching, um, which is effectively what we've got in, in you know, the manifestation of the state these days. But what ends up happening with both of those is you end up with two different, very different types of relationships. And, and this for me is one of the things that I guess early on uh, drove me to 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 not only become a Bitcoiner but think about you know flag theory and everything which we'll discuss later. Which is one relationship, which is what we have with our government these days, is what I call the subject overlord relationship. Is that you're a subject um, with very little choices. You basically have 50, 60, 70, 80 percent of your wealth taken from you. Um, you get told what to do, and then uh, you get slapped in the face um, if you have a different opinion versus the relationship you're kind of talking about, which is this idea of a customer and service provider relationship, which is, you know, what the free market is. If, if you want to buy something, you go ahead and buy it. If you don't like it, you go somewhere else and you buy something else. You don't have to have that relationship. And you kind of even mentioned that with, you know, you as a business, not accepting some customers because you can't help them. So, so it's your choice. You don't have, like, there's no volition um, or requirement on your part to do so. So can, can we talk I, yeah. a little bit about, sorry, go on, go on, go on. I, I do think that's the missing piece in all honesty. I mean, as a person who's politically libertarian since, you know, age, whatever, 12, 13, mm -hmm. that is the missing piece is both sides get to choose, right? I mean, the Cayman mm -hmm. Islands um, recently decided, hey, if you want to move here, we're going to nearly double the amount of real estate you need to buy to qualify for a residence permit to live in our tax-free uh, paradise. And they're allowed to do that. Um, just as, you know, we decide that, you know, if, if you're obnoxious or if you like, oh, I don't know, prove to me, you know, why I should work with you. I choose not to. Thank you. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's both sides. I think that let's as libertarians realize everyone gets a choice. It's not a one-way street. Um, and so, yes, I think that we should look at business or government as a competitive business. Why is it when you want to go out for Mexican food tonight, you go online and you look at reviews and like if they have much less than five stars, you probably aren't going to that that Mexican restaurant. But what if the government got a review? What would be the government's review? There are some government agencies that, that are reviewed. I mean, generally like one star, 1.4 stars, 1.7 stars. And yet nobody's too concerned. Yeah, I mean, you know, nobody's too concerned about it, right? We just keep doing the same thing. Why? Well, because there's nowhere that's better. I mean, if you went to a restaurant and you had a bad meal or the server was obnoxious to you, would you be like, well, I guess I can't eat out anymore? No, you'd go to another restaurant. You'd figure it out, you know? And uh, I don't, I think people, as you said, they make so many excuses for where it is that they want, you know, where is it that they live? And this... You know, there's these what I call the you know the patriots, the self-described patriots, people who are going to stay and fight. Uh, I I just don't understand how uh, that is that aligns with any other principle where you want competition in life. Um, yes, we're entering an era where when I was born, you had the United States and you had West Germany and you had a few other countries, right? You weren't going to go to Japan, um, but since then, in the last 36 years, you have had. Uh, South Korea and Singapore and Taiwan and Panama, all kinds of countries have emerged. You now look at the uh, freest economies in the world. There are uh, four or five ex-communist countries that are now more economically free than the United States. Um, You have countries that were part of the Soviet Union that are now some of the easiest places to start a business, some of the safest countries in the world. So times have changed. The era of there's three or four big countries that are all competing against each other. We've had obviously a lot of countries, you know, have broken up. So you have more competition there. Uh, But there's just more countries have decided, let's put ourselves in the game. Uh, Malaysia, let's put ourselves in the global game. Let's attract jobs. Let's attract business. Let's attract investment. And they've all had to be competitive. And I think that's a good thing. So if you're sitting in the United States or if you're sitting in Australia and you're not able to leave, or as I talked to some Canadians yesterday, you're afraid to leave because you think they're going to put you in a who's gal when you come back. Mm. Uh, you know, there are places where you can go that are competitive, where they are working on the principles of competitiveness. And if your entire circle is the US, Canada, Australia, UK, you probably don't realize that, but there are countries that are being competitive. Yeah, I think you, you touched on a really important point, this idea of competition so you know I, I always try and delineate between um you know how everything in nature and everything in life functions and gets better um through competitive forces you know whether it's you know whether you start a natural evolution natural selection all the way through to you know products and services delivered by human beings everything is competitive in nature but somehow we think it's normal that uh a government, some some pack of bureaucrats who are usually the most incompetent group of people, you know, you could imagine in a room, um, they somehow get to have a monopoly on either the you know the monetary printing press on the on the mandates um, of what is legal and what is not legal. So you know morality, morality and ethics, and they get a monopoly on uh, shooting you, you know, and 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 violence. It's just it's just crazy how people 
can't uh, differentiate between those. And, and, and I guess, you know, having, having competition on a, you know, on the scale of where you want to live, I think is really important, but I mean, whilst I agree with you, it is happening in many ways. I think, you know, 2020 has proven that, um, you know, despite attempts at um, being more competitive, like I haven't been too encouraged by too many nation states, um, you know, like even, you know, Eastern European nation states and stuff like that have, you know, been a little bit disappointing for me. Like I was in Bulgaria and a couple of the Balkan countries um, towards the end of last year. And I mean, they, they were better like than, for example, uh, how Berlin was approaching um, mandates. But what, what's, I guess where, where I'm going with this question is, um, do you think that, you know, the, the economic, economic reality drives incentives towards the continual breakdown of these older type nation states into more sovereign type jurisdictions that maybe look like Monaco or a Dubai or something like that. And, you know, and, and I don't know if you're familiar with Titus Giebel's work, um, you know, and guys trying to build private cities, but what, what, what's your sort of thoughts in that direction? Um, and yeah, how does that? I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't think any place is going to be perfect. I think that's what people do mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I live in a place where I've got a lot of you know problems. I don't have as many freedoms. Um, the social order is turning against me, right? If you look at most Western economies right now, I mean, billionaires shouldn't exist as if Jeff Bezos was the guy, you know, eating the bat in the market in Wuhan and it's all his fault. Like, no, he just had a business that happened to work with what people in the government decided we should all do, which is be sitting at home, you know, dripping Dorito crumbs on our stained t-shirts. And so now he became even wealthier and that's an evil thing. It's not an evil thing everywhere. Um, so the social order, uh, the freedom, the taxes, I mean, from my perspective as an entrepreneur, if I can move from, you know, one of these big legacy brands where I'm paying 50% in tax to Bulgaria and paying 10% tax, I'm okay, Bulgaria is not my particular cup of tea, but let's just use that as an example. At least I'm putting an extra 40 cents on the dollar in my pocket mm -hmm. for the privilege. And now mm -hmm. I can figure out where I'm going next. You know what I mean? It's like, I work with entrepreneurs who, you know, they make millions of dollars a year and they say, well, what are you invested in? They said, I, I haven't had time to figure out investing. I've got $22 million in the bank, right? And you can say, oh, that's so inefficient. But you know what? Better to have $22 million in the bank than not have $22 million in the bank because eventually they'll get that moment to figure out where they're going to go next with it. So for me, it's about making incremental improvements. And to me, to make as many incremental improvements as possible, you want to cherry pick from the buffet. So where I'm going to personally spend my time is going to be different perhaps than where I'm, you know, paying tax or where I'm, um, my business is based because, you know, a place like Singapore, which is fantastic for uh, as a wealth haven, um, you know, may not be the best place for me to go and live from a cost efficiency mm -hmm. standpoint, from a personal freedom standpoint. By the way, I think here's what people don't understand. I'm all for statistics, but when you go and you try and get on the subway in Singapore with a bottle of water, and the rules say you can't drink a bottle of water. There's a guy that's very nice that comes up. Uh, just please, please don't, please, please don't drink the bottle of water. You know, it's not like uh, the TSA or the Border Patrol in the U.S. <laughs> where, so, where some guy who's like, you know, been 
like he's been working out, you know, 18 hours a day and his last job is at Wendy's, like barks at you. And you, you know, he's like the stupidest person you've ever met, but he's just barking <laughs> orders because that, that's what it, like there is a difference, you know? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, like people say, oh, like Malaysia, you know, they don't like that. I was in Malaysia during the worst of this whole thing. And I can tell you what happened to me there. I felt relative freedom that I don't think I would have had in the United States. Um, part of that's living in a foreigner area. So part of it is just, you know what, I kind of float above society in some ways because it's not my mm-hmm. society. What, what they do in their own government is not my concern. It doesn't bother me. They don't tax me. They don't hassle me. So I kind of float above it. Um, but I can tell you that from an actual on the ground basis, I mean, I was in Istanbul when they had the big weekend lockdown and we were walking around as foreigners and we were allowed to do that. And there were people out selling hot dogs and hamburgers and you could buy drinks. I'm like, this is a lockdown. You know, I mean, if a Western country said we're having a great lockdown, you can believe if you went outside to sell a hamburger, you'd be you'd have the guillotine on you. So I think exactly. there's a difference. And I think it's incremental growth is is the point. It's never going to be perfect. I want to I want to pull further on the thread of private cities, but I think you've kind of touched on a different area that I wanted to discuss, which is there's a thread there about having your business, for example, domiciled somewhere versus having, you know, where you potentially live and everything, which touches on this idea of flag theory. So, so can you, yeah. can you, for the listeners, t- talk through what flag theory means um, and then a couple of the different flags that you think are most important? Well, I mean, flag theory has been around for, for decades now is the idea that you basically, as I said, cherry pick from the buffet where you say, all right, where's the best place to incorporate? I'm going to look at that metric and that's where I'm going to incorporate. Where's the best place to spend time as a person? Where do I like spending time, whether I'm looking to date or whether I like nightlife or whether I want, you know, the best restaurants or nature or whatever it is. Like, okay, that's a flag. Maybe it's multiple flags. In my case, I, I split my time up. Uh, you know, where's the best place to bank? If you still, you know, bank, I, mean, I run a business, right? People pay me in fiat currency. So where am I going to bank? That may be different. Um, you know, where's the passport that I'm going to have? I come from the U.S. You can be an American. You can live anywhere in the world. You're still going to follow the American rules. So you might want to get a second passport to where you can opt out of that system if you decide. Uh, and so, you know, it's the, it's the idea of, you know, planting your different flags, going where you're treated best, basically. You know, I think that there's so many options for, I don't even look at it as, you know, is it three flags or five flags anymore? I just look at it as, you know, many, many years ago, and I was a young adult and I was new in business, I started looking around the world and I started traveling ever so slowly. And I realized every place had something good to offer. So if I'm a crypto Mm -hmm. guy, I want to live in a place that's crypto friendly. Number one, because I want to reduce my taxes. And number two, because there's a cultural element where I want to be culturally more in sync with the government where I'm welcomed rather than repelled right there's something about why, why go where you're repelled why be where you're you're you know the enemy go where you're great right and so um you know if you're banking bank in a place like singapore or switzerland if you are setting up a company there's many different places um i think the challenge in the 21st century is what i call the tax-friendly quadrant so people think, oh, I'll just put my crypto in a company in Belize, or I'll just incorporate my company in Hong Kong, but I'll just stay living here where I'm living. You know, you personally need to move somewhere. You personally need to be in a tax-friendly personal situation. So you need to leave where you're living, and then you need to arrive somewhere where it's friendly. And then your business needs to leave where it's, uh, it, is, it is now, and then arrive somewhere that's it's friendly. So if you're in the U.S., 
probably you and your business are in the US, they both need to leave. And maybe you're going to go to Malaysia and the business is going to go to Dubai, right? Um, and so from there, uh, you can choose other flags. I think that there are, you know, dating flags. I think how many people grew up in a country, um, you know, where they just felt like these people don't get me. Uh, friends, dating, things like that. Um, you know, lifestyle. What do you want? A big conversation I'm having with folks right now is time zones and weather. They have a business or they're working with folks. They want to be on a right time zone. They want to have a climate. I'm hearing more people get off of let's go to tropical and say, I want four seasons. And maybe mm -hmm. they're from a place where they don't have four seasons, but they, you know, it's all about crafting a life that works for you, keeping more of your money, protecting the money that you have. And I think just being in sync. I mean, for me, it's not just strategic, but it's, there's a human yeah. element as well, where it's, you know, are you just in sync? And, you know, I wasn't in sync in the U.S. I think most successful people really aren't in sync in the U.S. anymore. You're, you're practically a, a terrorist now if you have money. Um, but I think that's what it's all about. <laughs> how, how dare you be successful, Andrew? How dare you make money? You're killing the babies and the grandmothers. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Um, so can you, can you talk to me about, um, the difference between, I, I know this question, I, I get hit up a lot with it. So I assume you would probably get an order of magnitude more, but the difference between residency and citizenship, mm. um, and, and what the, what the relative benefits of each are. Well, depends on your current citizenship, right? So if you're an American, remember, if you go and live in a tax-friendly country, you're still going to have to phone home to the U.S. and report your crypto and report your banks and report your income. Now, there's income exemptions. And so I would still rather be an American living overseas and paying 10% of my income in tax rather than 50% of my income in tax, right? Um, but it is a little bit harder as an American. doesn't mean it's not worth it. Um, but what a residence permit would be is the opportunity to live in a country um, on a full-time basis, right? So you cannot just go as a tourist and live in Monaco 365 days a year. Uh, you need to have a residence permit. The same would go for Dubai or Malaysia or anywhere else. I mean, maybe the exception is Georgia, which has a 360-day visa-free policy for many different countries. Uh, you could essentially just live there and come in and out. Um, but you know, where are you going to live? Now that works for a couple of reasons. Number one, you just want to live there, right? I mean, I think that we've seen things like visa runs that people have done, but they live in Thailand for 30 days, they leave, they come back, they leave, they come back. It's a hassle when you're successful, but it's also becoming more and more difficult. Countries are kind of cracking down on that. So you have to get a residence permit. Uh, what it can also do is depending on the country, if you live there long enough, and if you meet the qualifications, you can be a tax resident. So if you're not an American and you're leaving your country, you need to figure out where it is that you're arriving on paper, right? Now, there are tax residences where maybe you only spend a month a year there, and then you just promise, you know, pinky swear, you won't spend more than six months in any other country, and now that's your tax base. So residence is where you're living, tax residence is where you're taxed. Sometimes they go together, sometimes they don't, sometimes they help each other, sometimes you split them apart. There's so many different permutations. But, you know, residence could also lead to citizenship. So, you know, if you live in Colombia, for example, for five years, you can apply to become a citizen. If you live in Australia, the US, Germany, you know, whatever, a lot of countries allow people to become naturalized citizens. So there may be an opportunity. Again, some countries, you have to live there one day a year for X years. 
Other countries, you've, you've got to live there nine months a year. So now you've got to start arbitraging. Where do I want to live? What's the tax situation? Am I getting a citizenship? You know, what citizenship is, is you're a citizen of the country. It's permanent. So it's a greater level of permanence than residence, which I think we've seen in the last year is, is perhaps more important. Um, you want to choose your citizenships carefully. There are a few Asian countries that are a little bit like mommy states where they kind of tell you what to do and what not to do, where to travel, where to go. So, uh, you know, the U.S. obviously takes a chunk of your money no matter where you live. But if you're a citizen of St. Lucia, as I am, for example, you know, the deal is if you don't live here, we leave you alone. And so citizenship is what gets you a passport, what's what allows mm -hmm. you to travel. And so, you know, citizenship has been important to get for people who are from China or Russia or from the, the Middle East where their passports aren't as good and they want travel freedom. And for Americans who wanted to have the option to escape this worldwide regulation, worldwide taxation. But I think now what we're seeing is having multiple citizenships gives you the power to travel when your passport, like the US one, is not respected. You know, as a St. Lucian, I've done that in the last year. Um, you know, uh, so residence is living, tax residence is where you're taxed. Doesn't mean that you're paying tax, just means that you're subject to tax. It might be zero. Uh, and citizenship is where you're a citizen of. You can claim a passport, you can travel. And I think you can you can put those three together to where they may not be the same place. It may be two different places, three different places, uh, but hopefully that that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. I think it's I think it's an important distinction because um, you know I, I when when I was a bit younger and first sort of getting in and around this stuff, and I mentioned to you before we jumped on the call, like one of one of uh, my early inspirations was uh, uh, reading Emergency, um, and, and you know when I was sort of this was, I think, during 2011 um, that I read it, and and it wasn't from a um, a citizenship standpoint that I was reading it. I was mm -hmm. I I had personally been involved in the GFC, and you know I, I initially made a lot of money, then I lost everything, and then I went down the gold and silver path, and somehow stumbled onto this book um, as I was you know studying how how broken the government system is, and then that was sort of probably my first introduction to some early libertarian thought um, and things like that, because that, that kind of thinking is not very, I guess, common in Australia. Um, you know, right. Australia is a very, you know, very conformist kind of, you know, sheep, the government will take care of you, she'll be right, mate, kind of um, kind of thinking. At least, I guess, you know, in, in, in America, one thing I will say is that you've got the, this, you know, the seeds of libertarianism, you know, uh, uh, you know are there, um, um, despite... You know, I, I wrote a piece a couple of months ago saying, you know, one of the central themes of was America, the state killed America, the dream, you know, so like the, the American dream was originally one of this idea of, you know, sovereignty of the individual, but it sort of got suffocated out by the institution that became um, America, the state. But anyway, coming back to what I was talking about is I, I used to be on this um, rampage, like, you know, intent on getting as many citizenships as possible. But you know, as you sort of get a little bit more mature here is you start to understand the, the nuances between, you know, having a citizenship and then some citizenships can actually be a fucking detriment to have, like you mentioned, you know, with an American citizenship is like, well, now, hey, guess what? You are caught in the net wherever you are. So, you know, it's, you know, the, it's, I, I think I, I love your use of the, the word buffet because that's really what you want to try and set up is you want to set up as many, options as possible so you can arbitrage across these different dimensions um, because then that's what gives you 
the capacity to choose. Um, I can't remember who said it. It's like, you know, uh, one, one option is no choice. Um, two choices is a dilemma. Um, choice really starts when you have three, um, three or more. And, and, and I think that's sort of at least what I've tried to do um, when thinking about how to, how to structure my life is, you know, reside somewhere, um, you know, tax base, um, potentially somewhere else, um, citizenship options, um, and then try and adjust it. In saying that, um, it's always uh, easier in theory than it is in practice. Um, but I guess that's the whole point of life, right? You know, it's always easier to talk about things than it is to do them. Um, well, that's, that's what sets the winners apart from everyone else, right? Correct. Exactly. It's got nothing, you know, I mean, luck always has a, has, has a bearing, but at the end of the day, you know, what separates human beings is the fact that one is going to choose to figure the shit out in a practical sense. And the other one is going to choose to just blame someone else or wait till someone else does it for them. So that's, um, yeah, that, that's the, this, this is the one area where people who seem very empowered and who seem very take charge. I mean, I grew up in, you know, again, in the U S and you have conservatives, uh, and even some libertarians, where I think that the goal is to complain for some people. I mean, I, mm. I worked in the, bro mm. the broadcasting industry for many years. You know, talk radio is perhaps a rather, at least the American version of talk radio is a, is a rather American uh, construct, right? But uh, I was on the business side of working with a lot of bad AM radio stations running all these talk shows. And, you know, I would go and get invitations to go and meet with these, you know, talk show hosts and see their fan bases and stuff when they had events. I'm convinced 90% of these people would be miserable if they didn't have anything to be miserable about. And they want to talk about empowered and their business owners and create your own way, but they won't create their own way when, as you said, they're just sitting around waiting. I've had so many folks I've worked with in Australia and you're right. I mean, I thought the U S was bad until I went to Australia. That's like a real nanny state you have. I'll tell you what. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and people, and people love it. And it's that whole thing. If you say anything, it's like, Oh, excuse me. Wait, 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 is there a problem? You know, you're mm -hmm. not all, there's no one's allowed to have a different opinion. And I mean, people would tell me how if you lived in Adelaide and you wanted to invest in property in Sydney, it was like, wow, you're really going out on a limb. Mm -hmm. And just this, this <laughs> isolation. I, I, I think blame geography uh, to start. I mean, the US is pretty isolated because they look down on the Mexicans to the south to their detriment. Uh, they look, they, they kind of, you know, laugh at the Canadians to the north, you know, in Australia, I mean, you're surrounded by nobody. And I think that, you know, if you're in that situation, you need to put in extra effort to kind of go out there and become a bit worldly and see what's available out there. Because I can promise you that when you come into the sphere of countries that I spend time in, the emerging countries, the countries that a lot of people haven't talked about, I mean, um, it's a whole different world, but you wouldn't even imagine that world exists. Uh, it, it was... If I look back at myself many years ago, it's still hard to kind of comprehend at times. But if I look back at myself, you imagine, oh, it's only things are better. No, things are different. But you have to get in there and understand how it works to be able to, to use that to your benefit. Yeah, I think you, really important point there. Uh, it's not about better. It's about different. And then you take the differences and you blend them together to make it better. And, well, that's and my that, goal, I think right? Is, I mean, like yeah. every culture has beautiful things, and you know, but for me, mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur and as a Protestant, honestly, from you know, <laughs> from a place in the world, which I think here's another important element: I'm from a part of the world or from a part of the U.S. 
where I don't sense compared to the rest of like we have no pride. There's no mm. pride. When, I remember I went to Belgium. Okay, Belgium has a lot of problems, but I went there and they're like, we have no patriotism. We don't care about our country. Like these are my people. You know what I mean? Mm. No one's good. I'm a proud Belgian. No, like <laughs> this, is, this is what this is what is so detrimental to so many people. You go around the world. The more pride, the less I can promise you. But uh, you know, for me as an entrepreneur, someone who's always trying to improve things, always trying to improve efficiency, and as a Protestant. Uh, I'm always looking to, to, to take the best things, but then figure out, all right, like, well, how can we improve this? Um, and I think that if you are able to, to, to harness the best qualities of many different places, many different things, you can use that. You can create a great life uh, and you can create a very financially optimized life. You can create a very uh, freedom optimized life. But you have to understand that, you know, each element is going to be different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was, while you were talking about uh, tax residencies earlier, um, you know, one of the things that all, uh, also comes up when I'm speaking to different people is, um, is the perpetual traveler or, you know, I guess mm. PT, I think it's got a couple different uh, definitions. No one really knows which yeah. one it is, but can, can you talk, can you talk through that and whether that these days is, you know, is still a reality, um, you know, is a pipe dream, um, w w what it is and whether it's functional, just because that's yeah, one of the so questions that I asked. Perpetual traveler, perpetual tourist, per, you know, some of the people say prior taxpayer, uh, it can work. It's the idea that basically you're, you're just a nomadic person. You are not staying in one place for any given, you know, for any long amount of time. And the idea is that countries treat tourists better than they treat their citizens in many cases, right? I mm. mean, you get, you get your sales tax refunded, you get your GST refunded at the airport, you know, I mean, as I said, like in Istanbul, we're walking around, oh, you're a foreigner, please, you know, keep on going. I mean, so in many cases, tourists are treated better. Why? Because governments love tourism. And so when people say, well, Andrew goes around and, you know, what's Andrew contributing? Well, we do pay tax. Uh, we have a little bit of corporate tax. We pay, um, you know, a lot of tax for our employees and stuff like that. Uh, we, you know, if I, I look at, you know, I spend three, four, five months in Malaysia, I contribute more in sales tax, buying things as a higher level consumer there. And the average person pays an income tax all year, and yet I don't take any of the infrastructure. Uh, and then we also, I take a lot of this money I save in tax and give a lot of money to, to different charities that actually are efficient, unlike the government. Um, and so, mm -hmm. you know, for me, the idea still works of being able to travel around the world, but countries want tourists. So the idea is like, what if you were just always a tourist, right? What if you were just always the people, that, the guy that someone wanted to compete for at the country level? Because, you know, it's kind of like, you know, like I remember growing up, my mom was like, you know, after you get married, like the guy stops chasing after you. It's like the thrill of the hunt, you know, they, they, some, I guess some women say. And it's like, once you're a citizen in some cases, ah, the hunt's over, we got you, pay up, you know? But as long as you're a tourist, it's like they wine and dine you or, oh, you know, mm. let us show you this, you know? And um, so the challenge with it is that people are still focused, if you're Australian or Canadian or whatever, on this 183-day rule where I will spend five months in the summer in Australia and then I'll spend the other seven months with no home. I mean, today you do need to have a place where you pay tax. Uh, if you're from Australia and you're spending a little bit less than six months there, that's probably going to be considered your home. So I think what's more difficult now is if you're from one of these legacy brand countries, you need to be much more clear and much more specific in cutting your ties. 
that was easy for me because my goal was to mm. spend zero day, zero days in the United States. It made it pretty easy to say, why am I paying you people anything? Um, I'm literally there zero, right? I'm not using any roads or any bridges. Um, so I think that, you know, if you're from a legacy brand country, number one, you want to get your tax residence set up. So you have kind of a cover and then you want to really make sure that you're limiting your time and your connections to your home country because they're more aggressive than ever at coming after these folks. Now that we have this whole advent of digital nomads, it's on the radar. That, by the way, is my concern with cryptocurrency. The more it comes on the radar, the more the government will find ways to, to screw you. Uh, with it, right? And so now they're saying, oh, there's a lot of people who are becoming nomadic. You know, we can't just let them be here five months a year and not pay. And then the other seven months, they're in seven different countries. Now, if you want to abandon your legacy brand country, either you're Australian and you just say, I don't ever really need to go back or very little, uh, or you're going to give up your passport and you want to join my world of just being, you know, from countries where they really don't care, um, then that makes it a lot easier. Right. But uh, as long as you're tied to one of these big high tax countries, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. Still doable, still doable, even in this current pandemic era. Um, but, you know, just requires more thought than it did 25 years ago. Mm, interesting. Because we don't have a huge amount of time left, um, I, I, I want to talk to you about uh, five to 10 to 20 years sort of outlook um, across a number of different elements. Um, you know, cause we, we've seen um, like, you know, people have laughed at preppers and, you know, uh, people who've been interested in multiple uh, jurisdictions, people who've been interested in Bitcoin. So, so I, I make, you know, personally make a strong delineation between crypto and Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin for me is, the advent of money that has been demonopolized, that is, you know, impossible for anybody to co-opt, censorship resistant, et cetera. So, so it's the perfect money. Whereas crypto to me is just uh, private digital money printed by fucking clowns who want you to, you know, use their money. And I think that is very dangerous because that is sort of, you know, within the sphere of government influence, whereas Bitcoin sort of sits outside of that. But um, I, I, I want to talk to you about what does the five to 10 to 20 year outlook for you look like after, I guess, 2020 as a watershed moment for seeing how ridiculous things can get when um, these so-called traditional free societies, you know, show their colors because, you know, the, the traditionally free societies have benefited from the, um, the production of capital by free individuals for such a long time that they have enough resources to turn into basically uh, our captors, you know, our jailers. So, so what, what's your thoughts? What does the world look like five years from now, 10 years from now across the government dimension, the taxation dimension, um, you know, maybe the emergence of uh, free private cities, you know, travel, all this sort of stuff. Let, let's have a discussion about that. Yeah, you know, you know, I've supported, I, I'm, you know, friends with, uh, you know, the folks at Liberland and, uh, you know, I, I find these, you know, kind of libertarian initiatives very interesting. I think as a pragmatist, as an entrepreneur, you know, being a citizen of Liberland is not going to help me with my taxes. It's not going to help me be any more free. I can't go and live in Liberland. I can't go and live on a cube in the ocean. So I don't know exactly how that's going to go. Um, I think that I, I, I would generally trade a little bit of of uh, vision for for pragmatism in the moment because I think the moments all we have, 
Um, but I think that what you're going to see, I'm a big believer in momentum. And you have especially countries like the US and Australia, which are the Louis Vuitton of countries, the Gucci of countries. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. I like to buy nice shoes. Um, but if you don't realize you're overpaying for it, for a brand, um, then you're going to be in for a rude awakening. And the momentum in those countries, as I said, for 25 years has been against the individual, um, against success. Um, I remember I got upset by an article in the newspaper criticizing my, uh, my advanced uh, studies program in sixth grade or fifth grade. And my dad said, uh, yeah, get used to it. This is what success looks like in life. Everyone has a gripe with you. And it's basically become the national motto of most Western countries now. If you're successful, you're the enemy. Um, I think it's only going to get worse. It's going to manifest itself in wealth taxes. It's going to manifest itself possibly for crypto investors in some kind of unrealized capital gains tax. I think you're going to have to make a choice between being much more transparent about your finances or becoming a criminal. I don't want to live in a place where I'm going to be a criminal. They call me the goody two-shoes of the offshore world. I don't want to be lying on forms. I don't want to be doing that. I'd rather just opt out. Um, and so I think that it's going to be more taxes. I think it's going to be more restrictions. Uh, I don't know. I mean, who knows? If you would have said uh, eight years ago, Edward Snowden, about when, what he was, I mean, nobody, you, you, most people wouldn't believe mm. that. So I, I, mm. I don't even know. I don't want to want to guess what will happen in 10 years. But here's what I will guess. There's always going to be somebody who wants to be competitive. Um, mm -hmm. I don't believe in this defeatist, you know, the, the great reset. You know, I mean, there's there's certainly some conspiracy theories out there. If you look at the nature of countries, we're in a multi-generational cycle where you have the legacy brands, the Western countries that were built on success. They're, they're too far distanced from what made them successful now. So now they're going to go out like a trust fund kid and ruin it. And yet you have countries that have come out of a cycle at a different period where they've seen the consequences of doing that. And they're going to be much more resistant to making the same mistakes. Now, 50 years from now, is the cycle going to reverse and Australia will be the best place on earth and a beacon of freedom once again? I Maybe. And I think you have to be open to that. But, uh, you know, I think being adaptive is the most important thing. What I've said is better a couple of years too early than a day too late. So from my perspective, I'm not tethered to any Western country. I do not need the five eyes countries in my life. Um, I don't miss them. I am part of countries that are emerging and growing and that are the future. And I think that that might be a decision people need to make at some point. I think other countries are going to impose taxation the way the U.S. does to some level. Mm -hmm. People mm -hmm. laughed at me as an American, all my German friends and Australian friends. Oh, you know, it's so funny. Yeah, you're next. Um, mm -hmm. Because you can mm -hmm. see, I mean, it's been talked about in Canada and Australia and France. Not all of them will do it. But you'll have more people as the culture becomes entitlement minded. How come you get to be Canadian also and not pay? Well, I thought I was paying for the schools and the roads and the bridges. And you know, that's 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 like what we should pay for. Right. And, and they'll just flip it and use it whenever it's to their advantage in both directions. And you'll have to make a decision, I think. Um, I think there's going to come a time, much like your ancestors left wherever they were from to go to wherever they are now. You love to make a choice. Is this a place that I want to be in anymore? I had ancestors who left Norway, Lithuania, Wales, um, and they went somewhere new and they left it behind. I had a, a grandfather who, who left Czechoslovakia uh, during the war, after the war, and uh, could never go back. And um, I think that you know some of those choices may have to be made in the future. 
for financial reasons, for freedom reasons. Because I think that again, legacy brands, like any business that thinks it has a monopoly, are going to start making more and more demands of you. And you're going to have to either become a criminal or opt out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think to, to wrap this up, I think uh, a theme that seems to come up with all sorts of different guests that I have on the show is this idea of the seasonality of existence, which you kind of mentioned is, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, I'm sure you've heard of the, the, the saying of like, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create bad times, yeah. bad times, you know, recreate strong men. And I sort of, I, I really think that, you know, w- what what a lot of the world is in, particularly the the more affluent places that are sort of in the third innings where, you know, the, mm-hmm. the weak men have created bad times and, and those bad times, I, I don't know where we are along that, but sort of, we got a glimpse of it in, um you know, in 2020 is how really dumb things can get. And, you know, like I've got a lot of friends in Canada now and some of the things I'm seeing there are just absolutely wild it's like you know their their finance minister saying that you know like trying to come after people's savings and stuff it's 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 incredible it's absolutely Bailings. incredible to yeah. yeah 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 it's it's like so i think you know you, you said another word which for me like i have for many years have said um because i've always been an entrepreneur like i i've never had a paycheck like i've always had to do things myself and for me i think the root of all evil is entitlement i, I don't see anything worse yeah. than um, entitlement in any sort of behavior, like the, the, the idea that you can uh, covet or have a say on something that you didn't earn for me is categorically the, the and, ugliest and, and characteristic of anything. And that is fundamentally the issue, right? Is that um, like, again, no pride, but also no entitlement for me. I mean, if I, if I spend even today, you know, um, everything's going well, been in business many years, uh, like yourself, you know, always been in business. But if I take a couple hours off on a Sunday to this day, I can hear like like someone in my family's voice in my head, like, you think you're entitled to any relaxation? Mm. I, I, I can't, I can't. And yet you look at in the US, if you look at Australia, what's the definition of, of a strong man or a weak man, right? I'm sitting here uh, to this day and I'm working my face off, you know, like you, I'm sure, you know, we deal with all the, nonsense that comes from being uh you know from putting out content publicly and to me you know there's a strength in that but not mm. in the u.s mm. because if you wore a, if you wear a scarf you're weak mm. i mean literally like there were there must have been i asked uh, taco to go through and count well, who just went through our youtube at one point there were like 300 comments who said like don't listen to this guy he's wearing a sweater that's a weak man in the West. If you wear a sweater now, it's not about what you've built. It's like, it's, it's, everything's been turned on its head. Yeah. Well, I mean, everything's upside down. Like health, health is apparently stay inside, watch Netflix, stay out of the sun and get a vaccine. Whereas it's unhealthy to go out, get fresh air, exercise and be with people. Like it, the, the whole fucking world's upside down at the moment. It's, it's, it's really, but yeah, I, I think a lot of that is perpetuated through these monkeys that have grown up, um, fundamentally uh entitled and thinking they have uh the capacity to dictate what other people can and cannot do with what they've earned and and that for me is the is is the most abhorrent thing um that exists um and it, it is it is the cancer that continues to come in and decay society uh, here's here's the other thing you know like i think people who are entrepreneurs, who are successful people, 
you know, you don't become a winner by wanting everyone else to lose. Mm, and so mm, you look mm. at, look, I'll make like the dating analogy. You know, if, if you are good at dating and you get a lot and you have women who are interested in you, you don't have this chip on your shoulder where you could just go and say, you know what? I'm in the mood to go to a nice restaurant. Let's come along. And if she wants to be, you know, jerk about it, great. All right, next. But, you know, when you have the woman who's like, all right, let me send you my demand list before we meet. You're like, that's a step too far. Perhaps mm -hmm. if these countries, you know, said the tax rate's 9%, you know, maybe you tolerate that, maybe you don't. Now we can argue libertarianism and is it fair? But you know what? They've become too greedy. It's give us half of your wealth. And then if you keep money in the bank, you know, we want to take some of it one day we will. And maybe maybe your retirement account is next. And then they pass taxes and they say, oh, did we pass that in November? We meant to pass it in January. So just go back to January and pay it from then. So you have nowhere to hide. You know, it just, it becomes so greedy. It's like the woman who it's like sends you the list of 50 things. And like, I'm not going out unless they have like, you know, oysters on the menu. And it's like, you know what? You've taken a step too far. Now I'm out. And, and perhaps if they just weren't so greedy about it, you would tolerate it. And you would just be the rather the person who just, who did tolerate a little bit of nonsense, but they take it so far. Well, the, the problem is, is because they're in a bind. So that's the thing. It's like that they, they actually, not only are they arrogant and ignorant enough to think that they just can, because they think that, um, you know, they are some sort of, uh, that they exist to ensure that you and I can live because apparently you and I are too incompetent to make decisions on our own. So, so not only do they come from that paradigm of believing that without their magical fucking existence that the rest of us uh, human beings can't interact, but they, um, they're, they're, they're very, their very existence necessitates the growth of their parasitic nature because they need to, you know, somehow validate their existence. So in doing so, they need to say, oh, look, but look at what we're doing. You know, without us, you wouldn't have this. Without us, you wouldn't have that. So then they, they, they take more money. They squander more of it. Um, they don't realize why they've squandered it. So they're like, oh, well, fuck, we need to prove that we're doing something here. So let's just take more. So this is the sort of the, the non-conspiratorial view of the incompetence of the state. And as to why it continues to get more and more and more and more greedy is because they are running a bankrupt enterprise. You know, like if they were a business, they would have been bankrupt years ago. But the difference is that unlike you and I, who have a consequence of running a poor business, they just print more and, you know, control P um, or um, control fucking T, which is let's just take a little bit more out of these idiots that were, um, that were in prison. I, I will say this. I'm a big believer in the small country. Number one, they can turn on a dime. I mean, if you look at the transformation the country like Georgia made, I'm having an event, the, the president, the former president of Georgia, Mikhail Saakashvili, he's certainly a controversial figure these days, but he turned the country from a Soviet backwater into the sixth easiest place to start a business very quickly. You couldn't do that in a country the size of the US. I was even talking to folks mm -hmm. in New Zealand. I mean, they left this thing of democracy. I'm okay, Georgia's democracy, but you know, they can't build a bridge in 10 years. China wants to build a bridge. They snap their fingers. It's done in six months now. Do we is hours, China yeah. the answer? Not necessarily. But what I will say is, I, you know, speaking of quotes, I saw something the other day. Some, a guy said, I'm an anarchist on a global level, a libertarian on the federal level. I'm, I'm butchering it also. 
Um, it's a it's a Talib quote. It's a Talib quote. So it's a, I'm yeah, libertarian it's at the federal right. level. Um, it's a, I'm libertarian at the federal level. I'm a Republican at the state level. I'm a um, a socialist at the um, city level, the and I'm a level, communist yeah. at the at the local level. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, so I I mean. <laughs> You know, when I uh, when I left the U.S. and I had an empty room in my house uh, that I wanted to fill, uh, my parents are like, why don't you just let your sister move there? It's like, I didn't think we were communists, but you're right at a local level, you know, you help your, you, you help your family out. Um, and, you know, if you know the person in the school district and she's Judy, you probably give her a lot more leeway. If you look at like St. Lucia, for example, you know, you make a donation, you become a citizen. It's the biggest of the five islands that do that. They have 180,000 people. And you look at how that money is spent. Now, of course, there's always some opposition politician complaining, but they've got to spend it with a, a good deal of accountability. They can't just be like, I don't know, the Pentagon lost $6 billion. Where did it go? We have no idea. I mean, like $6 billion, they lose $6 million, they're screwed. So I do think that when you're in these smaller countries, not only can they turn on a dime faster, but there is some level, it's not perfect, but it's a greater level of accountability than you get in the U.S., where you know twenty percent of people work for some government body, and hey, you can't complain to us. And it's also that thing, it's that corporate bureaucracy we started out at, where it's like, hey, uh, why was my flight canceled? Don't ask me. I'm not in charge of canceling flights. Yeah, yeah, but you someone do, else you do work. Yeah. But but you do work for the airline, so unless you want to put me in touch with that person, how about like we're having the conversation? So I think that you have less of that in a small country. Not perfect, but better. You absolutely do. Well, th this, this, is the, this is the reality of scale. So governance does not scale. And, and this sort of goes down another philosophical rabbit hole. But, you know, I, th this is why I think like sort of these pushes for, you know, where, whether it's global government or large scale government, they will never, ever, ever, ever work because human beings are fundamentally diverse. We're different and governance cannot scale to large degrees because, you can't fit everybody in the same box and you can't create a, a functional level of accountability at a large scale. It's just fucking impossible. So what you have to do in order for human beings to function well together is you have to break it down into locales. Locales function very well. Like, you know, when, when you know somebody and you know what they did, you, th there, is, there is a level of skin in the game that creates accountability naturally. But when you have the state which is, you know, America that, you know, governs apparently 300 million people, who the fuck are you going to keep accountable? Like you said, so, so it's impossible right, yeah. to do that. And that, that's where scale is such an important thing. And that's actually why I believe, so, you know, my whole thesis on, you know, Bitcoin bankrupting large-scale government is through, you know, Bitcoin's economic gravity and sucking money out of the system. What ends up happening is government, large-scale governments end up going bankrupt and we start to move towards fragmentation, localization, where we get to where I kind of open the conversation. Uh, we move away from the subject overlord relationship to the customer customer service uh, customer service provider relationship, and and that happens as an economic necessity and as an economic reality when the large scale state can't print itself out of trouble and can't tax the fucking um, citizenry to death. So, so if we can remove that by, by pulling the monopoly of money outside of anybody, we actually force nation states to break down. And I think the ones who are already small, the ones who are already nimble, they've got a huge advantage in the coming decades. Yeah. 
because they're already that size. But the behemoths that want to sort of cling on to the old ways, cling on to their fucking brand, as you like to put it, cling on to the money printer and cling on to like a, an ever increasingly worthless, uh, you know, monetary unit or an economic unit. They're the ones who are going to be in the biggest shit. And, and, and that's, um, that, that would yeah. be my sort of outlook. I, I, I think you're going to go down with them, right? I mean, I think you, you don't, uh, you don't uh, recover. If you're an alcoholic, you've got to admit you're an alcoholic and you've got to hit rock bottom first. Um, I've known people who were alcoholics and it's an unpleasant ride getting to that rock bottom. And uh, I don't think you've hit rock bottom yet in these Western countries. So you can stick mm -hmm. around, mm -hmm. but you're going to be like the guy clinging to the leg of the alcoholic who's slowly, you know, on his way to homelessness. Um, I don't want to be there for that. It's, um, it's, it's, it reminds me of the early days, like, cause I, I've sort of studied World War II quite a bit and reminds me of the early days of how, you know, the, the, the rationalization that Jewish people made uh, in Germany when all of the shit was really starting to go wrong, even in the beginning, like sort of the, you know, the, the Jewish communities were like, no, 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 it'll be okay. We can just stay and all this sort of stuff. So it's like, it, it actually ties perfectly to what we were discussing in the beginning is that adaptability of human beings is that we will learn to accept shit when we shouldn't, when, you know, we, we don't draw the line when we should uh, based on shit that we know. And, and, and it, like you said, it's unfortunate because they're the people that end up going down with the ship but in in many ways it's um i guess as harsh as this sounds uh every action and every decision we make has a consequence and you know perhaps for some people who choose not to take action and make a change the the consequence is going down with the with the ship and, and, and in closing i mean i you know i think a little bit there's a little bit of prescience needed here where uh you know, this is, is for many people an insurance policy. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's becoming less and less so by the day. I think it's becoming more of a plan A and less of a plan B by the day. But still a lot of people coming and saying, I want a plan B. But here's the thing with a plan B. It's not, and I just had a gentleman yesterday, he's paid $3 million in the last uh, six months alone or will pay $3 million on cryptocurrency trading. He's got, an, he's got an immediate issue that has a very fast ROI. I mean, what does it cost to go and do this stuff properly? A heck of a lot less than $3 million. I mean, he's going to get an ROI in days, weeks. But if the idea is, I want to have a place where I can go that's safe, I want to have options, as you're saying, it's like buying car insurance. No one likes to buy car insurance. We like to know that if we, you know, if you're Tiger Woods and you drive your car, I don't know what's even going on with Tiger Woods. But um, you want to make sure you're covered. But no one likes paying for car insurance for 10 years and never having a claim. But that's what it is. And so when someone comes to me and says, I've got $10 million in crypto, I say, yeah, you, you want to insure yourself with something. It's going to cost money. There's not going to be an R ROI right away. But later, when the time comes and some new law is about to be passed, you'll have an option in your back pocket that you can execute on immediately. And that's worth having. Uh, it's never easy to say, hey, I'm going to stroke a check for $100,000 to St. Lucia. But I think you'll generally look back and say, hey, business kept going, money kept coming in. It was a good investment to make to make sure I was covered. Yeah, I, um, I think 
the time to be prepared is when you don't need it um, because when you need it it's often it's often too late and um, so yeah I think that's uh, that's that's not only prescient but poignant if, if, if you've got one, you know, if the U.S. exit tax kicks in when you have a $2 million net worth and you've got $1.92 million in Bitcoin, it's too late to call me and try and get your second passport five or six months from now. You know, unless you think the market's going to be flat for the next five or six months. I mean, you, you're too late. I mean, you need to plan ahead. And, um, you know, I think that's to me, it's very entrepreneurial, right? It's, it's sacrificing now to win later. Um, it's seeing where the, the puck is going and following it and, and making sure that you're ready. So. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would push back on the Bitcoin piece though. I think Bitcoin has um, the, the uniqueness of being um, confiscatable. Now I, I, I know that, um, you know, as a government, you know, they, you know, they could do things to you like me and Godfrey Bloom had a discussion about this um, and you know, he's like, yeah, well, they can just throw you in a fucking room and all that sort of stuff. But I think, you know, the, the, the fact that um, I forgot my private key, um, you know, is something that is powerful enough uh, with Bitcoin. Like it, it is by making private property um, easy to defend and extremely difficult to attack, um, it makes the capacity for implementing a wealth tax uh, on that specific asset, very, 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 very difficult. And that's something no, no other asset on the planet shares, no fucking crypto, none of these things. So I think Bitcoin kind of transcends a lot of that. But in saying that, most people don't hold their own keys. Most people don't um, you know, hold Bitcoin uh, with the best sort of, um, how can I say, uh, uh, best practices when it comes to privacy. So they're quite public about, you know, their holdings and all that sort of stuff. So, so it's a, yeah, having all, all these things, I guess it, it's like security in, in any sense. There is no silver bullet. Um, there is only lead bullets. I call it lead bullet strategy, which is, you know, you, you're better off having best practice. Like, first of all, you're best off holding your wealth in something like Bitcoin, which cannot be confiscated, but then you're better off holding it with the best, um, you know, where you hold your own keys. Then you're better off, uh, you know, having good privacy hygiene. You know, you don't sort of walk around with your fucking wallet uh, open, you know, down the street, right? So you want to keep that. But then you also need to know that you need a jurisdictional backup plan. You need to go somewhere just in case, you know, a, a lunatic like Biden or whoever wants to um, introduce unrealized capital gains, which they might be able to tie back to in some way, shape or form. So I think th th this is the thing. It's like all of these plan Bs, all of these prepping ideas are becoming more and more of a necessity than they are a luxury. Um, and that accelerates as things get worse. And again, like I, I always question people, do you think based on what you've seen in the last 12 months that the clown show is going to get better? or it's going to get worse. I don't think anyone can tell me with a fucking straight face that things are all of a sudden going to get better um, with the same idiots running it. Like it's just, it just doesn't happen that way. So, so I think, you know, if, if there's one message from this that, you know, I'm hearing not only from you, but that I'm hoping that the listeners hear is that um, preparation is important and doing something uh, to create a backup 
now, which you know is increasingly looking less like a backup, is um is prudent, um and entrepreneurial, I guess, in nature. So so yeah, yeah, very important stuff. Sweet, Andrew is. Um, is there anything else you want to quickly add to this or um, do you want to mention where people can find you, your work um, so that they can you know, follow what you're doing? Yeah. So this is, if you're watching, this is the book uh, it's on Amazon. It's called Nomad Capitalist. And uh, as I said, it's a great introduction. I don't know that it's going to create your entire 13 point or 17 point plan that, that I would do with somebody, uh, but it's a good place to start. Got over 1,100 free videos on YouTube. Got over uh, or close to 2,000 articles on nomadcapitalist.com. And uh, we have a boutique firm that helps people do this stuff. I think with a great level of not only strategy, holistic strategy that covers all the jurisdictions, mm -hmm. uh, but also a, a, a human strategy. Uh, to me, that as you're talking, it comes down to where am I just going to go and feel best? Why do I want to stay under Biden or under Trump, whoever, and just be miserable and just worry? Um, I think there's a great freedom in just in, in taking a very human approach to this. So nomadcapitalist.com is the website. Nomad Capitalist is the book, the YouTube channel, uh, lots of resources out there. Awesome. All right, Andrew. Look, this was, this was a really great chat, um, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time. And I'm sure the listeners, the viewers, they're going to get a lot of value out of this, man. So thank you very much. Thanks so much. My pleasure.